0: Well, I do want to say a little bit more about Father's Day. It's not about slim jims, although I hope that you will come and grab one of those as well too. Um, but before I begin my sermon, um, I know uh, that Father's Day is a loaded day with, with many different feelings uh, in this room. So I just want to acknowledge that some some of us um, don't know what it's like to have a father in the house. Um, Or, father is a source of pain, or some of us um, might want to be a father and are having difficulty becoming one. Um, Some of us have been hurt by our kids. Some have lost a father recently. It's a beautiful day, but it's a loaded day. Just like Mother's Day is, it's the same sort of thing with with Father's Day. It's it's hard being a dad, uh, but it's a joy and an honor uh, to be one as well. Um, And to be honest with you, there's there's not a lot of encouragement out there um, for dads, and, and I, I like to say happy father figure day too, because uh, many of you, many people listening, uh, you might not have kids of your own, but you're kind of an uncle, or you're kind of a, your brother's kids, or the people in your community, happy father's figure day to you as well. Um, there's not a lot of encouragement out there for men to be good dads, uh, or to be good father figures, and so today I just wanted you to hear it from my heart. Um, Happy Father's Day. I love being a dad. That's probably clear from uh, every time I see my kids in here to my Insta-dad posts (laughs) online. Um, I love being a dad, and it's deeper than just because I love my kids, even though I really, really do, and I know you love yours. Um, I believe God has paternal and maternal um, qualities within his nature, and God is, is like our divine parent in the Bible Uh, it uses the language that God is like a father to us. And um, that adds a a lot of depth, I think, to what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a a father figure um, that I think is right to share, that our kids are watching us. They're watching the lives of the men uh, in their lives. And they don't know it yet. This is, this is the way I approach it. But they, my kids don't know it yet quite. But they're, they're like pre-loading, pre-learning what they think God is like by what they're seeing happening through me in, in their life as, as their father. So when I say to my kids, um, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. I love you, my child. Um, I do so from a place of realizing that I'm hopefully reflecting the love of God the Father my kids before they even realize that that's what's happening. Um, And I know many of us were blessed to to have fathers who did that well, and so this day can be difficult for those of you who lost a dad like myself um, or lost a child to spend this day without them. It it can be quite difficult, so my heart goes out to you, and especially uh, for that and for for those in here who might feel like there's days when you failed as a, as a dad or as a father. Um, I have those days too. And it's important on those days I think to remember especially that not only are we in a position to honor of getting to be a father or a father figure, but we're also sons. We are sons of God the Father. So for me, uh, you know, when I forget that or when I feel like I haven't done a good enough job or I'm not adequate or whatever feelings you probably have too on on days like that um remember that you are a beloved son of god that god loves you and your heavenly father loves you so deeply so i want to encourage you uh men uh that keep fighting the good fight and keep your head up keep trying to reflect god's character to your kids and those to whom in your life you find yourself as a, as a father figure it's an important important work um, so I pray blessing for you. And uh, actually, let me pray, and then we'll continue to get into the sermon. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. So last week we began a series. uh, We've been in the the book of Genesis, if you're brand new today, for the past, um, oh, I don't even know, six months, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, we have been in Genesis, the book of Genesis, and uh, really from the beginning of the first texts that we have from the Bible, what does it say about God? What does it say about his mission? What does it say about us? Um, and so we've been kind of doing mini-series within within that story because it takes a turn from, like, uh, God creating things good to uh, sin entering... In, into the world through human beings, things being broken. We see this spiral all the way up to Genesis 11, and God shifts his focus to this family that he wants to use to become a blessing to the whole world. And so we're on the third generation of that family, uh, focusing on two, two brothers, really, uh, that we started last week um, called Jacob and Esau. And we saw that these twin boys, um, who should be best friends, should be built in besties because they're twins. Instead, become bitter enemies. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. Jacob, as a child, uh, one of the twins, was given an identity that he would be, it says, a heel grabber. That he would be one who hurts others throughout his whole life. And we started to see that kind of happen where he stole his brother's birthright and he stole his inheritance. And he really was scheming to get his way, not trusting that God would have enough not only to bless his brother, but to bless him as well. Last week, we left off at that moment when uh, Isaac, who was the father of these two twin brothers, when he finds out that Jacob, one of his sons, had deceived him and stolen the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. We left the scene with uh, the father shrieking and shaking because he was lied to and deceived by his own son, and the son coming in and crying, saying, isn't there enough blessing for me to And the thing I wanted you to leave with last week, through all of that, is to just acknowledge, as we focus on forgiveness and reconciliation over these weeks, acknowledge that you've been hurt. You have to start there. And we will continue to see this story of these two brothers dramatically come and take full circle. It's a beautiful story, but today we're going to step into the next part of it. We covered the the wound last week. And how there was this thing that happened in this family. And now we get to step in a little bit to the response of this brother. The sad scene full of tears. And I want to pick up uh, from the last verse that we ended with last week. And so we'll be in Genesis uh, chapter 27. We'll start at verse 38. Esau said to his father, remember this, "'Do you have only one blessing, my father?' Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. That's where we stopped last week with the, the tears in this moment. Verse 29. His father, Isaac, answered him, Your dwelling... So now he's just given him the truth here because his blessing has been given to his other son. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. So in other words, my dad will die soon. And then I will kill my brother. Again, the Bible is still full of these repeating patterns. We got this like, bounce back to uh, Genesis 4 where Cain kills Abel. These brothers have this friction between each other. And this one says, when my, brother, when my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother for, for what he did to me. Have you ever had a wound that you thought you had dealt with, that you thought you had moved past, but then you see them Again? You bump into them on the street or in the grocery store. And all of a sudden, all of those old emotions that you had, the old pain, I got a band-aid on my finger. The band-aid gets pulled off and the wound is exposed and everything comes right back up to the surface. Isn't it strange in those moments, if you've ever been there, maybe you're there today, but where you, you didn't realize that part of you is kind of owned by that person by that bitterness that you might have that you push down they have a power uh, over you that makes you react Um, I've seen some memes online that are like somebody has rent free space in your head have you ever seen those before like that's that's kind of how it is sometimes right it's not affecting them anymore but it's affecting you because there's a grudge because there's something that you may be holding onto without even knowing it we can sometimes be under their control, and they're not even doing anything. It's just the reality of the wound that might get buried or not dealt with or unforgiven that we'll cover here in a little bit. Uh, there's an example. Um, in the moments after World War II, uh, there was a committee that was assembled to interview the survivors of the Holocaust. Could you imagine uh, some of the stories that, that you would hear? Um, one gentleman, a survivor of the Warsaw camp, a guy named, um, ooh boy, Itzhak Zimmerman, probably Isaac, but hey, Isaac, um, Itzhak Zimmerman, in his interview he said to his uh, of his abusers, they stole my dignity, they threatened my humanity, they treated me like an animal, and he says this part, so, such a vivid image, and if you could lick my heart, it would... Poison you. My heart, because of what they've done, in other words, is poisonous. Now you've all heard that phrase, holding a grudge, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That is true. I'm not going to focus on that a lot, but that is true. Why is it when we are wounded that our hearts so quickly resort to violent or to uh, revenge? I mean, it's obvious when you're the person that's been hurt, right? Because what happened to you was not good or unfair or wrong. So I'll show them. I'll get back at them. I'll give them what, what's coming to them. Like Esau, once my dad passes away because I don't want him to see it, but after that, I got to... Yeah. I'm going after my brother. It's revenge. And we might not take it to those extremes. But we do that same sort of thing all the time. We hold something. We hold on to a grudge. And it's interesting that when Isaac, the father, in that scene, gives these words to his son, this, like, vision for what his future is going to look like, he is giving him warning He's giving a warning within that about what things are going to look like. And he says, if you're not careful, the anger that you feel will control you. It will poison you. You'll find yourself serving your brother, unable to let it go. He says, if you're not careful, you will find yourself living by the sword. But here's the thing. And and again, we're going to keep keep. Uh, walk in this story, it's a fascinating story uh, over the next few weeks, but let's say Esau did find his brother and he did kill him. Do you think the pain would go away? We'd like to think maybe if you're the one that's been hurt that like the revenge, the wrath that you have, whatever it is, that that's going to actually like make you feel better. But it doesn't. Has anybody ever actually been in that position where you get to get back at somebody or you get to stick it back to them and you find that it did not do anything for you? It might have felt good for a second, but afterwards you go, oh, I'm just as terrible as they are. (laughs) Or I inflicted just as much pain as they did to me and it didn't make me feel any better. If we actually were to get back the pain would not go away. The cycle would continue. It's, it's Father's Day today. And I was talking with Eric earlier this week. And we were talking about more than just beef jerky. We were talking about what it's like to be a dad. What it's like to uh, live in this world. And look at even our histories and stuff like that. And he, what, one thing he said in that conversation struck me. He said, the biggest disservice that we could do for our kids is to not stop a generational cycle before it gets to them. Wow. There's a lot at stake with the grudge that we may, help, we may hold. I love how another author, a guy named Louis uh puts it. He says it this way. Our hate does not even have the decency to die when those we hate die, for it is a parasite sucking our blood. After the wound, the responses to it, We have a couple of choices. And the first is that we carry a grudge. And we wait to get back at them. There's a great line tucked into this story. um, Tucked into the middle of Isaac's warning to his son. And it's really easy. It's subtle. It's easy to, to read right over the Bibles that way all the time. We wouldn't realize how loaded it is with context that can speak to us if we just take the time. Which I'm glad you're here to do. Um, But notice what Isaac says. He says, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off of your neck. So let me give you a little context about what yoke is. It has nothing to do with eggs, okay? Um, Different kind of yoke. The yoke is a farming tool that would would be placed around the neck of an animal and attached to a plow. You've probably seen something like that. This is my makeshift yoke today. Which, thank you for the dad joke with things looking horsey up here earlier, Kurt, with these sawhorses. But uh, it's designed to help a farmer plow a field by steering and controlling the animal. It's a heavy object. It's something placed on the shoulders of an animal. And this is how Isaac describes the revenge. This is how he describes it to his son, that the, the bitterness and the grudge that you carry for your brothers are going to be a heavy weight on your shoulder. And as long as you carry it, it's going to steer you in directions that you don't have any choice to go. If you choose to let that yoke sit on your shoulders, but he says, eventually you will become restless. And you'll want to throw that thing off. You see, some pain, and I've got to keep saying this in a forgiveness series, some pain is not our fault. They chose to hurt us the pain that is inflicted on you so often was not our fault. But when we plot revenge, it's the hardest thing in the world. When we choose to let that yoke stay on our shoulders, we are placing their yoke and their decision all the weight that comes with it on our necks, not on theirs. Ugh, it's unfair, isn't it? Because let me say again, the stuff that has happened to you, I know so many of your stories, is not fair. It's not good. And it makes you want to take revenge. It makes you want to take justice into your own hands. But what that ends up doing is putting weight on you. We think that revenge is about getting them back, but giving them what they've got coming to them. But Isaac, in the warning to his son, sees it differently. Revenge is like placing the yoke on our necks. Revenge is carrying the weight uh, of their decisions on our necks. Our And someday, he says to Esau, you will grow restless of it. You'll get sick of it. We can be defined by it. We might even forget it's there. Because we're fueled by so much anger towards what they did to us. And again, I'm not trying to invalidate the feelings that any of us have towards the pain that's been inflicted to us. But the very next words, Isaac hasn't even finished his warnings. And that's when we read verse 41 that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said, The days of mourning for my father are near, and I will kill my brother. Esau held a grudge, which is an interesting expression to hold it. So, The only way this can stay on my shoulders right now is literally by holding it. I'm choosing to not let it slide. Uh, We have an active participation in it. He's choosing to keep the yoke on his neck. And now I do want to keep saying this because I don't want anybody to leave here uh, hearing me, hearing something I'm not trying to say. I want to be careful because there are some things that we have to hold. Holding a grudge is different than living with the consequences of their decision. You hear that? Holding a grudge is a different thing than living with the consequences of a decision. Because someone hurt us, there should be some sort of consequence to to those choices. Relationally, there are ramifications when a person chooses to hurt you, the the dynamic of that relationship will probably change. Especially if if there's not been any efforts at reconciliation or contrition or forgiveness or repentance, any of that stuff. The consequences most often lead to a new kind of relationship. We may need to set boundaries in that relationship in order to keep ourselves or those around us from getting hurt. Some things we have to hold. We don't have a choice. And that is the part, as your friend and pastor, when I hear your stories, that breaks my heart the most. Because I wish that that, all the consequences of what was done to you or even sometimes what you did could just go away. And someday I believe only by the miracle of God that he will heal all things and there is hope for any situation. But in this life... Isaac seems to suggest in the story that a grudge is not one of those things. Consequences and grudges are different. We choose to hold a grudge. But we have that choice. We can hold a grudge. That's choice number one. But Esau's mom, it's interesting, in the next few verses, has another option uh, that is suggested for when we get wounded. In verse 41, let's keep reading. Uh, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, I've read this verse a couple times now, the day of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah, so their mom, was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for the younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now, I've got a plan, my son. Do what I say, flee at once. To my brother Laban in Haran. We'll hear more about that story in the coming weeks. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you. Hmm, and forgets what he, what you did to him. As if that's even possible. I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? According to Rebecca one strategy dealing with woundedness is just to ignore it and go away. It's to run. You can either have the wound, you can uh, want to get revenge or actively move towards it, or you can run. Give it enough time and they'll forget all about it. She sends Jacob away and figures that she just needs to separate them and avoid the consequences and Esau can forget what was done to him. Can you imagine that? Can you Seriously, imagine that Esau would forget what had happened to him. It's interesting, though, that, that our strategy sometimes for dealing with woundedness is often the same. We either avoid the person that wounds us or avoid the wound altogether. Because if it hurts, Sometimes it feels like ignoring it will just make it go away. But it doesn't, does it? We have to face it. We have to acknowledge that we've been hurt, either by others or inflicted by ourselves or the circumstances around us. That's why last week we had to really just spend time with that, that it's a good first step to say, I have been Hurt, rather than running away from it or rather than uh, wanting to get revenge. But there is a better way than both of those. You won't be surprised to hear that forgiveness is the third way of responding to our woundedness. It's the only way that we can actually heal. If revenge is placing the yoke on our necks and if revenge is holding the grudge, then forgiveness is making a deliberate decision to take off that yoke. Forgiveness is making the decision to take that grudge and let it go. Forgiveness is not ignoring the pain. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't hurt or doesn't hurt. Forgiveness is not running away and avoiding. Forgiveness is simply making the conscious decision that you will no longer carry that weight around anymore because It's our necks that need to be set free. It's your neck that needs to be set free. But I know that that's not easy. In fact, there is one story that I think of often when I think of forgiveness that reminds me of just how hard it is. There's another story of a a different Holocaust survivor named Connie Tenboom. She was a prisoner in Nazi concentration camp, and she had to watch her loved ones die. And she observed that those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained hurt. It was as simple and horrible as that. Forgiveness is hard. And I wish that I could give you a five-step formula to forgiveness. And there may be some good processes out there that you can find, but there may not be a perfect formula for you and your specific situation. But forgiveness is the only way that leads to life for you. Question that we should be asking then is, where do we put that weight? Where do we put it? I'm sure some of you in here have that weight on you today. That it's on your shoulders as I speak. While Jesus was on the cross, dying for our sins, he said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not." What they are doing. When Jesus taught us to pray. He said. He taught us to forgive us our sins. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. The prophet Isaiah said about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Was on him and by his wounds. We are healed. One of the followers of Jesus. One of the close followers of Jesus. Named Peter said. When they hurled insults on him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And then this is his charge to us. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who do we put the weight of forgiveness on? I believe the invitation is to put it on Jesus. And trust Jesus. Yourself to the one who judges justly. Follow Jesus, who while he was hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Forgive as he has forgiven us. Because you know what? Jesus carried a different cross on a hill called Calvary. He carried it for you and for me, and so that there could be reconciliation between God and people, but people and each other. He's the means that we will have peace on earth forever. It's through his life, his death, and his resurrection that we can actually have life. And you will be continually frustrated though, my friends, if you keep carrying that weight on your shoulders rather than giving it to the one who can carry it. And he gave us that symbol that we're going to celebrate now. He gave us... That symbol of communion, that's why I put that on this table to represent that Jesus is the only one that can carry it and take it from you. It's crazy the stories you'll hear of people who actually forgive other people for things that they did to them that you think, I would never, how, how could they? But it's a resource within them, put there by God, to forgive when we realize that God has forgiven us. Does it make it okay Does it make it feel good? No. But Jesus is the only way that you can take that weight off and not have it be your identity anymore, but that you can remember that you are a child of God, not a slave to the yoke of what somebody did to you. (laughs) So the Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was broken for you. He carried the cross. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the the Lord's death until he comes. Take that yoke off. Put it on God. Put it on Jesus. He wants to take it from you so that you can be free. So when you come forward, we got communion uh, table over there and over there. Got gluten-free packets if you want to do that too. When you come forward, I want to invite you to lay down the grudge. To lay down the grudge and pick up forgiveness. Pick up peace. Pick up that peace that passes understanding. Put your trust in Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord, those are big words and big claims that I understand are huge but it's claims you made about yourself you said that you are the way the truth and the life you are the answer not only to our salvation and to all the answers we have about where we came from and where we're going when we die all that stuff but you also came to take away the weight that we carry on our shoulders that others put there, that we put there. You, you said your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And I don't even know how to articulate that any further, Lord. I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in thousands of others, and, and I don't know if the words that I've said and communicate that to the people sitting in this room but I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would do what only it can do translate these words to the heart and inside of each listener here that they would come to you and let go of that weight they would trust you with it and that you as you've done billions of times would, sh- would show yourself to be faithful we come to the table that you gave us to remember that and to celebrate that, that we are free by placing our faith in you, Jesus. Amen. So I want to invite you when you're ready to come to the table. Take the bread, dip it in the blood, and remember that Jesus has taken the weight from you. Amen.